Welcome to the first ever edition of the Stick Wars podcast. My name is Ryan Bruckman, and I will be joined by my co-host, Craig Hanks, as we bring you whatever it is we want to bring you, whatever we want to talk about. That's what we're doing to start out here. Uh, this week's episode is a discussion about the Lord of the Rings series, specifically about the movie The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. Um, we give a brief review at the end of the podcast about how we felt about the movie. There is uh, some spoilers involved, just FYI. So if you haven't seen the film and don't want anything ruined, don't want any spoilers, uh, cut out when we get to the middle section. You'll hear there will be some music. You'll you'll know what, what's going on. And then go and see the film, come back, listen to the second half, and then tell us that we were entirely wrong or entirely right. And thank you for giving me the, the this advanced warning. Um, but either way, enjoy the first ever edition of the Stick Wars podcast. Well, I gotta say, I'm pretty excited too. Do you know how much research I did for this podcast today? I'm going to guess somewhere in the uh, zero to fifteen percent. Oh, I was just gonna say I was gonna quantify it with twelve years. Oh, twelve years. Twelve years of research has <laughs> gone into this. Yeah, I believe twelve years ago is probably the last time I read The Hobbit. To be honest, last time I read The Hobbit, um, I read it. I think I read it. No, I know I read it in preparation for the first installment of the movie. So it's it's been about a year now. Yeah, about a. It was just before the the first movie came out. I actually, um, Stephanie got on this big uh, audiobook kick, mm-hmm. and so I got her onto Ender's Game, and I got her onto, I mean, I, I got her to listen through The Hobbit. So she got really excited about it, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't refresh my. I didn't refresh my time uh, reading The Hobbit. Uh, which I probably should have. It's been it's been far too long since I've read any of the, the the Tolkien series. Did I ever tell you about the first time I read The Hobbit? I don't think so. I did not know what I had just read. It was eighth grade, um, and I I think I read it for a book report. I don't remember who our eighth grade English teacher was, but um, I I picked it out of some list because somebody was like, "Yeah, you like that," and I did, um, and and nothing else came of it i did my little book report and went on with my life then and so that was eighth grade i must have been what 13 years old so a couple years later uh the first lord of the rings movie comes out so uh, my family's like oh we're all gonna go see the fellowship of the ring and i'm like this sounds lame but i went um and you know the the screen goes all dark and kate blanchett is narrating in elvish she's like whispering something in elvish she goes the world has changed and i'm like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen in my life i i was blown away and totally into it then they so they're going through the prologue and then uh, they show bilbo finding the ring in the cave and i remember thinking to myself hang on i've seen this before i thought I, I really thought that i'd seen it before but that was impossible it was like the first week that uh, that the movie had been out and, uh, and, and so I was totally flabbergasted and it took me probably another five or 10 minutes before the button in my head got pushed. And I realized that it was the eighth grade book report that I had done that weird book about that little slimy creature that lived in the cave, you know? And, um, to be honest, I don't even remember if I made it through the whole book because that scene is the only thing that, <clears throat> that had stuck in my head. Yeah. Um, anyway, but, but the point being, I then became completely obsessed with Tolkien and, and needed to know everything about it. 
um, about him and about his his books. And uh, and little did I know, I had had a brush with him earlier in my life. I remember when I first came across <laughs> The Hobbit, uh, it was actually, I was um, much, much younger. I believe, it, you know, probably just around 11 or 12. My parents had uh, started up a small little cleaning business uh, that we would clean this place my dad worked at. And so we'd go a couple times a week late at night into this uh, store. Robinson's Medical Mart is what it was called. It's gone now, long gone. It got bought out and everything, but... We're so old and weathered. Yes, yes. You know, the world has changed apparently for us too. <laughs> but uh, we would go to this, this uh, place and clean up. And one of the things my parents would do to keep us interested is we would go and there was a... One of a room in there that we could sit in with the TV and we would watch movies. Mm-hmm. And one of the movies that the store had on file was the old cartoon. Oh yeah, sure. Night, was the old cartoon version of The Hobbit. And so we used to watch that all the time. It was probably my favorite movie to watch there, and I get so excited. And I didn't know that. And I'd watch that one. So I loved that. One. I loved the cartoon version. Um, and that's what led me to eventually read the book. And my parents bought me the series, you know, the Lord of the Rings series. And I read The Hobbit again. And then I looked at the rest. And I'm like, nah, I'm not going to bother with this right now. <laughs> it's too big. I'm in sixth grade. I'm not. Yeah, this isn't worth it to me. But then when the Lord of the Rings series came out, obviously, it kind of perked an interest again. And it, admittedly, I think that's one of the biggest benefits of the movie series of both Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit is this, the interest that it's sparking back up in the book series that, you know, may not, you know, a couple of generations may not have it otherwise. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not like it would have gone away. Um, it's a beloved classic for a reason. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a two-edged, double-edged, two-edged sword as far as I'm concerned. Because on the one hand, yes, it did bring me to the books uh, where I might not otherwise have, have gone there. But on the other hand, um, it brought everybody to the books. And, you know, as somebody who came to not just be obsessed with, like, the trivia, but I really loved, like, I, and I continue to love these books. Um, it, you know, it let in the riffraff. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and everybody has the right to love and enjoy something, and I'm not going to take it away from them. But it is pretty frustrating sometimes um, because I, I, you know... People say stupid stuff about it, you know, parroting some blog post that they read or some really terrible doctoral dissertation that somebody got published. And, you know, and, and uh, anyway, um, that that's kind of the downside for me. But, you know, it's always better to have the robust debate, I suppose, than to have a closed off community. Mm-hmm. I, I completely agree. I think that, uh, you know, there are some things that some classics that if they don't get a little bit of that attention from a more generic crowd, uh, they end up kind of starting to fall into what into what we consider the cult classics. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're as soon as you t- you say that you have an interest in it, then all of a sudden it immediately attaches a, additional yeah. labels, things like that. Well, the other nice thing about it is that with the movies, um, I mean, the book to a lesser extent, but the movies you can recommend them to anybody because they're fantastic and you know, well written. Some and... some I'm talking about the movies. Some people don't like them, but yeah, those people are few. Um, whereas with some other classic pieces of literature, I'm I'm thinking it's it's a little bit harder. I'm thinking specifically of 1984. I love 1984, and then I went and saw the movie with uh, is, it, uh, is it something hurt? Um, John hurt. John hurt, and uh, and the movie's fantastic. But uh, what's her name? Julia is that the name of the the lady love 
she's naked through the whole dang thing. Um, you know, which I didn't really have a problem with, but it's harder for me to recommend to all of my family and friends. Be like, hey, go check out this chick. She's totally naked. It's awesome. <laughs> Here, mom, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. It's John Hurt at his best. No, I've, I've come to especially really enjoy John Hurt over the last few years. Yeah, he's, he's done. But um, let's talk for a minute about specifically let's let's get to the movies. The Hobbit, the first mm. first movie. Now that we're eight minutes in. Let's uh let's get there. Let's let's you know push forward here. The first movie and and what we're to give kind of a uh uh explanation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is before we have gone to see the the second film of the Hobbit. Here we're doing this pre and then we're gonna do a little bit post uh seeing it to, to give a review. Please not tonight. No, we okay. We can do it another time. <laughs> We, after we've slept a little bit and our conversation isn't uh, really like the part where the elf shot the arrow because you know, we're so tired. But no, I, I think that uh, we'll talk we'll talk right now about what we're expecting going in a little bit. And um, from the original, from the first film, what, what's been set up that we need, that we were hoping to see resolved or to see carried through or maybe some controversial subjects of things that... Oh, first can film. they please just kill the damn orc? <laughs> I am, I'm sorry. That's, uh, yeah. I don't know. You know, Manu Bennett, he's probably going to have to carry through all three films. Ugh. He's going to be... I, I have a feeling that he's going to be the carryover villain that goes through all three films and until finally at the end he's he's killed off i don't know uh, yeah you're probably right he's probably going to be leading the orc armies in the battle of the five armies and blah 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 but i don't know i i don't know um how do i put this i have a much easier time with filmmakers who chop a little bit out of a story than filmmakers who add a little bit onto a story okay um and you know there are lots of examples of that i could go back to the original lord of the rings trilogy of movies and air my complaints um but but i won't anyway i i just i didn't much care for yeah there there's adding new characters and i you know spoiler alert i'm not excited about tauriel Mm-hmm. but then then there's lifting characters from some other random place not random but some other place in the in the story mm-hmm. and and dumping him where he doesn't belong okay you know so do i have any artistic complaints for that no not really it just kind of gets under my skin a little bit it seems to be one of the bigger pet peeves with those who have followed the book series or who know the books and is the 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 white orc um, it's, uh, and I'm trying to think of his name off the top of my head and I, it's, uh, eluding me at the moment. Um, but the whole idea that this character, I mean, he's, he's barely, he's, I don't even remember him being mentioned like maybe once in the, in the actual Hobbit, if at all. No, he's not mentioned in the Hobbit, uh, to my recollection. He's mentioned in the appendices to the Lord of the Rings, which, you know, is a Bible in and of itself. So what... My here's my question, and in kind of a realm of thinking that I'd like to to throw out here. I would have bigger issue with it, a bigger issue with it, if it was something that the that Peter Jackson or whoever threw in that didn't exist already within that world. Um, being that you have the Silmarillion, you have these other, you know the appendices that 
you know, he does exist and his story does coincide with it, but it's not exactly, you know, it's not exactly the, the story that it's told in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. You know, for filmmaking purposes, they needed a villain to, you know, you need a villain that's going to be to push the story forward because otherwise there's really, I mean, there's not quite as much pushing them forward as having having a villain who will do well, that. Well, uh, uh, oh, sorry, finish your thought. So my, my, my question is, is it better to pull a villain, you know, to pull a character out of something like the Silmarillion or out of the appendices and utilize that as your, your, um, uh, it's not a MacGuffin, but, you know, your plot forwarding device here. Yeah. Or, or, you know, do you stay, try and stay true and let, you know, and run the risk of maybe having a little more, you know, uh, chopped uh, for lack of a better term sure a so. chopped narrative yeah I'll, yeah I'll work with that um i don't like this idea and i've heard you say this before and i've heard others say it before azog sorry oh. just azog yeah azog Az- oh i'm sorry <laughs> anyway i've heard this before that you need is you need something to to drive the narrative you need something to drive them forward right mm-hmm which I don't buy um, because the story worked just fine and became a classic in children's literature on its own quite before the Lord of the Rings. You know, it was a very popular children's book uh, on its own right in its own right. And it got that way with a, a plot device that pulled them through the story. They were working towards something, mm-hmm. you know, not, running away from something or confronting something 10 times on their way to the ultimate goal. And so I I don't buy the idea that something has to push the narrative. You can, you can have something pulling you as in, you know, you're looking ahead toward what's coming and you're overcoming obstacles on the way there, but with your eye on the prize Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, fear driving the narrative, it's hope driving the narrative. Hey, you know, if we want to get cheesy about it, but does that make sense? Yeah, and I I do agree. Um, my I I just think that there's a certain level of concern I have with with the films like this. You know, a lot of times with a shorter film, you know, you can let your, you know, you can have a few moments where there's more of just that off in the distance. Well, this is what we're going towards, and this is what we're doing. You know, I I do think that, you know, with a, a series with especially deciding to split this into three full films. You know, something to connect the story is a bit necessary. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily a big, I'm not a fan of, of, of Azog or, or that whole story piece. I, you know, I, I myself would have preferred a more true, you know, go ahead and let them encounter the different pieces that they encounter and, you know, have the goblins chasing them instead of, you know, doing, doing those things. Um, but I, I understand, I somewhat understand the reasoning behind it, um, and I guess with, you know, maybe we'll see something in the second that will make, that will, maybe will justify a little bit more. Maybe it will totally do the exact opposite and say, no, you really just were being lazy and decided you didn't want to have to create a whole new series of characters yeah. for for this. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll finish airing a couple complaints, but then we ought to get to the good stuff because these are hardly terrible movies. Correct. You know, um, three films, really. <laughs> really <laughs> uh the the commercialism reeks yeah. to me it, you know and, uh, yeah i get it if i were the studio executive totally three films let's do it 
make me a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You know, so I get it, and I don't really have that much of a beef with it um, uh, on a on an intellectual basis, but on an emotional basis, it's like why why do you have to stretch this out and add a character named Tauriel just to placate the feminist fan base? You know. Um, you know, go to a different movie. Make a different movie if you want to play to that crowd. You're making this movie. Um, so stop adding stuff. Stop, I don't know, um, commercializing it, uh, Hollywoodizing mm-hmm. The Hobbit. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm not happy that three films are being made, but I'm not furious about it because I get to go to three movies, so that's fun. Yeah, I think that... One, yeah, there is definitely a, a commercial aspect of, hey, you know, we could make, you know, $600 million off this, or we could make $900 million yeah. or more on this, you know. Dude, do you know how much they spent on this? Not offhand. Uh, so the Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, off the top of my head, I'm sure we could look it up on Wikipedia, but they spent something like $250 million to make the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. And then they made freaking like a billion or a billion and a half i don't remember anyway just insane amount insane amounts amounts of return on investment Mm -hmm. then they go to make the hobbit movie and they spent 500 million Mm dollars just to make the dang things i mean they're still making it and it'll, it'll still turn a profit but the return on investment is not nearly what it was and you know with the Lord of the Rings versus the Hobbit, it's like a super sized macrocosm, if you will, of everything else that you see in Hollywood, where the low budget stuff that you have a lot of heart and soul in always turns out better than the super huge, big budget, you know, Iron Man 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it always turns out crap because you can tell that the story is being written by committee you know of guys in suits not guys in you know khaki shorts yeah <laughs> so um how can we get this uh, product placement in here Superman? Yeah, exactly i mean you know i'm just i'm pretty sure bilbo didn't drink pepsi <laughs> I, I could be wrong it's stepping off talk but that was topic but that was the, my number one biggest gripe with the man of steel film it was all the product you could not see a scene oh, without I, product placement yeah, in um, of course, it goes back to the original Superman. First big product placement that I was ever aware of was that Pepsi truck, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, where the heck was I? It was a macrocosm. Oh, anyway. Um, yeah, so I guess with, with the first film, my uh, kind of my big complaint with it was that it felt um, overworked. Mm-hmm. you know over digested uh by the suits um uh now that being said it was it was fun it, i had a good time when i watched it twice mm-hmm. um and so i'm not complaining too hard but it lacked the heart of the lord of the rings yeah i i would be very interested to, you know let's let's create an alternate dimension here this story doesn't exist as a book. You know, this you don't have the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings book series before. Someone, some writer just came up with this idea and pitches it as a screenplay. It comes out, the first film comes out, and we all go watch it, not having the classic mm-hmm. background of the book or whatever. How much How much do we look at this film and go, that was amazing, or do we look at it and go, eh? 
um it would be if 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 there are terrible films bad films good films and great films i would put this at like very good the mm-hmm. first hobbit not great and the reason i would say it's not great is because even if you didn't have the books to refer back to you can tell it's a little bit schizophrenic in its mood mm-hmm. um so the story of the hobbit i'm sorry i have to refer to the book mm-hmm. so that we understand what i'm talking about here but it's a very light-hearted affair yes it's children or it's a child uh, yeah and i mean it's not like not light-hearted like disney light-hearted i uh-huh. mean because a bunch of people die there's a war <laughs> Gollum doesn't break out into a song yeah and, for yeah. real he's gonna eat bilbo in the revised version at least anyway um well he was in the original anyway the point is um it's very light-hearted compared to the lord of the rings you know definitely well we have to know that uh to make my point because the point is that they let some of that lightheartedness out a couple times and then a lot of the movie was shifted into lord of the rings mode mm-hmm. you know oh sauron is returning the necromancer is in the you know the woods or whatever um and you know they hint at that a little bit in in the hobbit the in in the book they he tolkien mm-hmm. hints at that but never really gives it a lot of weight um, he went back and added a bunch of stuff so that it would tie into this huge, massive epic he was writing. Right. Um, but the tone of the book always remained that way. But it is so in Peter Jackson's movie, it shifts between that lighthearted and earnest seriousness mm-hmm. uh, without ever really finding an identity. Okay. I can see that. So, yeah. And, and let me clarify that there are some movies which can shift between the two i just didn't feel like they really pulled it off in that one do you have any uh can you give an example of a movie feel that might actually be able to do that um you know what i would say is actually we'd have to move genres completely and go to say like buddy comedies um uh lethal weapon is a great example of a movie that's really funny but you know, is kind of intense. Yeah, these guys are chasing each other around, shooting each other and whatever. You know, so something like that. Okay. It can be done. Got it. Die Hard, another excellent example. The Ultimate Man's movie series. <laughs> but, okay, well... Uh, I don't know. Um, so what was your favorite thing about the first film? So... When I when I went and saw the the first film, um, I was looking forward to I was looking forward to getting a bit of the uh, of the Lord of the Rings feel because I I did I did want that you know I did want to feel that a little bit. Um, I have to say, the 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 people that they cast as the dwarves have actually been probably the highlight of you know that that dwarf clan there it, mm-hmm. it has been the highlight for me. Because they are very, like, I feel like, you know, in the in the epic moments, they're epic, but they, you know, when you're talking about that, a bit of that schizophrenic, that's some, one of the things I actually kind of enjoy about them is, you know, you have the scene where they're in the in his house and they're all mm-hmm. cleaning and everything, and, and you can tell that this is a very happy group together and that they, they care about each other, um, but when they get into battle, you know, they're a fairly, fairly fierce group, and I like that, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm generally one who doesn't buy too much into 
into gimmicks, but I did like, um, you know, I did like them trying to do some, a little bit of uh, some more, I don't like to use the term revolutionary, but revolutionary stuff with the uh, high frame rates and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think those are some interesting things for the future of film, but, you know, other <laughs> than that. Forward looking. Let's call it forward looking. Forward looking. <laughs> But, uh, you know, honestly, I, there wasn't a ton about the film that really, you know, just sits in my heart as, oh, I love this. I love this. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do. I do enjoy the film. Um, I, I really, you know, um, Martin Freeman is he's quickly become one of my favorite. Oh, actors. my gosh. Is he the most fantastic person he's, on screen? Oh, I every time I see him perform anything, I'm just like I, and as I, I go back and I watch some films that he's done in the past, you know, not really necessarily to see him, but. Um, he was in uh, Hot Fuzz. It's Hot Fuzz. Oh it's, yeah, wasn't he another cop? Or yeah, something? he's another cop in there. Yeah. So he's just very short cameo. But I look at him and I go, oh, hey, and he has just he just has something when he's on screen that's just very likable, very likable. He's extremely yeah. likable. And uh, I, tangent here, um, when I watch him on Sherlock Holmes, I mean, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, and he's he's funny and an amazing actor and you know really draws me in but i can't stop looking at martin freeman during that show he just cracks me up anyway because he looks like a hedgehog have you seen any of those internet meme things <laughs> no martin freeman they say they uh, you know they have like different animals that represent different uh, actors martin freeman is a hedgehog and he's so cute and adorable that's why that's that's his thing he is cute i'd take him home to meet my mom <laughs> i'm a little uh nervous to see him rocking the mustache in series three of Sherlock, but that's beside the point. In The Hobbit, he is, you know, he does for me represent, uh, do a fantastic job of representing Bilbo Baggins, this this guy, this 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 Hobbit who does not feel complete at home in the Shire entirely. You know, he wants that adventure secretly, but he's got that side of him that still they, says, yeah, you, yeah. You they know. really got that opening scene right, didn't they? Mm -hmm. uh, with him and and. Uh, Gandalf, Ian McKellen, I guess we could call him in real life. Anyway, yeah, they really did that scene right. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, the the cast of the film is, I mean, I, I have no qualms with the with the cast. I mean, if you take it aside from the characters that we're not super excited about having appear. Radagast. I love Sylvester McCoy, but. He, uh, was, he was hilarious. I mean, he did a great job. Just take him out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and whoever decided on the makeup there with the whole bird's droppings on the side of the head, that... A bit much. A bit much there. That's, uh, that would be the mark of Peter Jackson. Oh. I'm, I can just see him now in the Weta workshop or whatever, and they show him the mock-up or the they show him the sketch, and he goes, hey, you know what you should add? Birds living in his hat. And you know what happens if he has birds living in his hat? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It... I, I I struggle a bit with that. I do like you know I like Sylvester McCoy. And I liked I liked the character Radigas, but again, like you said, there's so many things there. But other than that, like the cast in general, I mean, you have, you can't. Ian McKellen has done a fantastic job bringing Gandalf to life for a new generation here. Martin Freeman's fantastic. I'm excited to you can't really say see, but hear Benedict Cumberbatch as the yeah. voice. I want to know. Of course, you won't even be able to recognize him. No. I'm I'm curious if they actually I, I swear I read somewhere that you know they had him coming in and, and acting with the other actors when with uh, Martin when they were re recording some of this and so I wanted to know if he was doing motion capture or anything like that but why you would do motion capture with a human onto a dragon would make no <laughs> sense to me whatsoever. Hey, wag your tail. 
And do so with that sexy drawl thing that you do. So. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a question for you. Um, if you were in charge of this movie, you're Peter Jackson, you're producing it. All and right, let me grow some more facial hair and get right. a little fatter. Yeah, well, um, not that much fatter these days. Anyway, you're producing this movie and you're looking around for a director. And by movie, I mean trilogy. You're looking around for a director. Who are we going to get? Ah, I know. My good buddy, Guillermo del Toro. Del Toro. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, was I excited when I heard that news. Um, that they brought Guillermo del Toro on board. And then he backs out. You know, I can't commit, what was it, two, three years of my life to directing this. And, uh, you know, I get that. But wh- did Peter Jackson make the right decision then putting himself in the director's chair? Or should he have gone out and found somebody else? I think that's a tough one because especially where you've got such a... I, it would be difficult as, as Peter Jackson to decide, okay, I need, I want to have another, bring another director in so we get a little bit of a different take on this, but I still need it to be true to this world that I've created a bit. Why? Uh, just mainly because, you know, for con- for the sake of for creating a... Uh, a continuous epic for i mean if you're creating if you're separating the two worlds entirely who cares whatever but if there was any intent to con- connect the two worlds so that they can sell a blu-ray box set you know <laughs> well, the extended there, is, edition, there is that i suppose i okay then you want at least some continuity in the sense of uh, of feel a little bit but enough to change and that's you know you bring someone in fresh you said and you say okay here here's you know we want you to tell the, the story there's a few things that i would like to make sure that they kind of carry over a little bit but other than that take it and go it's yours and i don't know of many people i don't know of many directors that i would imagine peter jackson going to and and saying i trust you and trusting enough to do it yeah you know and and if guillermo if uh, guillermo uh, guillermo del toro Come would on, put on your spanish tongue let's go it, it's it's getting late um <laughs> if he if he says no to that or if he says yes and he buys in and he goes on there you know Maybe we miss out on like a Pacific Rim or something like that, which I, <laughs> which I, I, I love that film. I know it was, it was so stupid and so wonderful. It was great. It's one of the few movies that I was like, I'm going to go pre-order that. Oh yeah, for real. Blu-ray, 16 inch TV, surround sound. Anyway. That's fine. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's easy when you see Pacific Rim to say, okay, I'm glad that you did that. But my point is simply that uh, it, it's, for me, the Hobbit movies, as wonderful as they are, are too much like the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And that's where that schizophrenia comes in, where, you know, it's um, he's he's putting one foot in the, the book, The Hobbit, mm-hmm. and then one foot in the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, yeah, providing that continuity, sure. But I mean, the book and the movie or the book and the book <laughs> aren't that continuous. To begin with, I mean, the story is, but the the uh, the feeling is not at all. The style, yeah, this yeah, good good word for it. The style is completely different between the two. So, mm-hmm. it's uh, I I do wish that they'd gotten somebody else to do it, um, because I I love Peter Jackson and I love the Lord of the Rings, but I wanted something fresh because it reminds me a little bit of Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which lacked any continuity. Um, but the point is just that, um, if they had done what they're going to do now with the new sequels, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. um, 
and brought in new blood instead of, you know, recycling George Lucas's stale imagination, then it would have been a, a lot more effective. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think I, I agree with that. I would have, I would be very interested to have seen the Hobbit done, you know, by someone different to, to give that. Oh, and I'm sure we will. I mean, if, if we're having uh remakes of nineties movies already, yeah, we're going to see a few more versions of this in our lives. Yeah, there's been I I hear talk uh, at times of, of actors saying, well, maybe when they do the remake of this series, you know, especially uh, the biggest culprit and the one that I hate the most is the idea. Well, when they remake the Harry Potter series, so it's like <laughs> you don't have to, you know, there's yeah. no requirement that 20 years from now we get a new take on it. You know, I, just... yeah, but if it's anything like today, it's well, those those people back then, they didn't understand how the world worked, but we do now. So we have to. Every generation we have to is better than the watch world. this, or we have to, yeah, we have to uh, read or listen or watch this this tale through our understanding eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, any predictions as to uh, how you you know kind of what you're thinking this movie is going to? Um, a little bit, just vague. Um, I've purposely steered clear of any um, detailed reviews, but I've seen a few headlines and and uh, they seem to be more favorable than the first movie was mm-hmm. um and i am anticipating being very frustrated uh in the um scenes that involve the wood elves mm-hmm. uh, but i anticipate being very happy in lake town why is that uh i because i feel like there's going to be a little bit more um human <laughs> element to dive into there um mm-hmm. with the the politics of the situation and not that there's nothing with the wood elves but it just it, it wasn't as developed mm-hmm. uh, in the book as it was uh, as as lake town was um so i'm excited to get to lake town and uh, the barrels will be fun right? yeah anyway uh, that'll be uh having seen the the trailer pieces of those i'm just excited to see that whole sequence so um i think uh for me i I'm very nervous going into this film because I'm afraid. I, I feel like the the first film was here. Let's introduce. We're going to introduce everything and 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 just get the ball rolling. This is Act Two in a three act series. Mm-hmm. Act Two, you usually you know, like you kill off Act Two at the high point uh, at the climax point of the conflict, and Act Three you pick up, you resolve it, and let the, and then let it trail out. So I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of unresolved moments from this film that we're going to have to wait a year to get any resolution to. Okay. And I will be very, 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 very angry if they go in and like very quickly they're like, well, we're going to just deal with Smaug here really quick and just get that out of the way and then move things along after that. And it, Oh, no, they won't do that. I, it, I, I, I'm just, I, I have those nervous. I. So if Bard shoots Smaug in this installment you're gonna leave the theater i the thing is i am with them wanting to add so much additional stuff i like the third movie could end up being by the way here's all the additional stuff that happened yeah. afterwards till we can bring it all the way up to you and now we're going to see you know you're going to see the the you know the birth of uh, <laughs> frodo. frodo you know and, and we see the final scene is this crying baby and you know bilbo takes oh frodo and then we're like oh i hate you <laughs> <laughs> I'm nervous about that, but you know, I I'm going to give them the, you know, the benefit of the doubt, and you know, and look at at the excitement that that can come from this story, and that it can't. I think that they, you know, there's still hope that it could be well done, and 
interested to yeah. see how they I, go. I I can't quite stress this enough that for all my complaints, I I like it. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying, you know, the first installment, I've enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed the anticipation coming up to the second one. Um, and so while it may seem like I'm a bit of a Debbie Downer, what would you call that for a guy? A Danny Downer? Sure. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I, you know, I don't mean to be too much. Um, I guess I'm just looking with a critical eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think all in all, look, after all the three have come out and we look back, you know, I, I do feel this series, we're going to go through and say, you know what, it's, it's a good series. It's worth, you know, it's worth having in the collection. It's mm-hmm. worth, you know, it's worth watching. It's something, you know, you'll show your kids hey, and everything. But if the Star Wars prequels are worth being on my bookshelf, then uh, yeah, these are going to be there too. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's close this down then and uh, go see the film. And then we can talk about whether we met, met our expectations, exceeded, or we were left sorely wanting. Okay. Okay. Let's try this again. Some brief technical difficulties there, but we're back and we're ready to talk about The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. What are you doing? What? (laughs) What are you doing? I'm bringing us back in. I see, I see. It's what you do. There's a break. There's going to be a break in there. (laughs) Signified chapter one, chapter two, the end of one, the the second of the other. On and on with it. That's why, I mean, just like the movie we just saw. It goes on. And on and on. <laughs> so you thought it was long? I, I did. I There's usually a, a long movie can still be very good and uh, you can walk out of it. As we all know from Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're moving on. Anyway. Um, a, a long movie can be good. Usually there needs to be some sort of payoff. Something that uh, you come out going, yeah, I sat there for a long time with a lot of buildup for something that finished out there. Like, say, Helm's Deep? Yes, I would, you know, Helm's Deep would be a good example if you're going to go with the Lord of the Rings trilogy there. You know, but there is, that was my one big criticism of this. I, I will, I'll give my two cents really quickly here and we'll, we'll talk a little more. I thought it was actually a very good movie, very enjoyable, as long, once you get past the crippling feeling afterwards of not having anything resolved. Spoiler alert. Um. Yeah, I guess, I mean, what are you expecting? This is what happens when you take a, uh, 300 page children's book and turn it into a three movie epic you know three long movies yeah no i i agree it's but i i feel that you know that they've done a lot to set up for a big finish in the third film and it was a little uh a little irritating to to hit the end of the film and be like oh so now i have to wait for a year before you're going to finish any of these pieces off even the smaller ones, you know, but aside from that, like, I do think, I think once the trilogy is completed, we'll look back at it and the desolation of Smaug will be a very good one and will be a very, you know, enjoyable. And when you're watching through and deciding you're going to do another marathon and go through the entire series, <laughs> you'll be okay going through that. You won't dread the having to go back, like, you know, say an attack of the clones, having to go through that one. So. Oh yeah. That's even more painful than Titanic. Thanks for that <laughs> reference. Um, making the hurt a little real. So I, you know, um speaking of nothing being resolved i'm a little bit worried about the third movie um having no room for the really good development 
uh, character development that happens in the book in that third, which is weird because in the book, all the, the, the payoff in terms of character development all happens in the third act. But now they have to, they have to uh, fit in not just the battle of the five armies and the negotiation with the Arkenstone, but the death of Smog as well. Yeah, I, I will be, I will be interested to say, I honestly don't know that there will be, I mean, there will be a few moments of, of development, but I honestly, I'm, I'm not expecting much in terms of the third movie, in terms of, uh, character much. Yeah, me neither. Development there. Uh, based on what I've seen in the first two movies, you know, they throw you a few bones. Thorin doesn't care about the life of the Hobbit. Oh no. Mm-hmm. You know, but they move right on from that and okay, now let's get chased by orcs for 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I I have to say as much as I enjoyed the gimmick the in the barrel scene oh, when Yeah, yeah. when the, taking out orcs with a with a runaway barrel. Mhm. I enjoyed the moment of like, ha, ah, that's very funny, and I get it, but that was a certain point. It's like, you know, the barrel should have gone back in the river about two jumps ago. Yeah, it was um, the whole sequence. If I were to take a guess, the once the barrels were in the water, by the time they were out of danger, the whole sequence must have been seven minutes, which feels like an, an eternity. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I could be overestimating by a minute yeah maybe you know but it's i don't know i've i felt like um i felt like the fight scenes lasted too long without any real purpose you know they it's like when you watch the extended editions of the lord of the rings the a lot of the extension is more battle mm-hmm. well i don't care you know i I know how it ends. I know how the battle concludes. Yeah, uh, You're only showing me cooler ways to kill things. So. Yeah, exactly. It actually, I had the thought while I was watching it last night that not only are they tr- treating them this way, but the orcs kind of look a little bit like the zombies on The Walking Dead. And mm-hmm. the whole idea here is, all right, what are some more innovative ways that Legolas can take out two orcs with one arrow? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and it felt a little... Uh, disingenuous. Well, it's, but I think that's one of the things that we reason things that we go to see when we go to see the Lord of the Rings movies. We go to see some of those moments. Like we we know it's coming. We know that it's going to happen, and that Legolas is going to have a bunch of really cool fight sequences. And the nice thing, one of the nice things is here, and I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Was I I liked the, I actually really enjoyed uh, the character of Tariel and her her fight sequences. And, you know, well, that's because she's hot. Well, I mean, if only they'd gotten somebody who was more attractive than Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> it, it's it's difficult to spend time watching watching her, but I don't know. I I really enjoyed being able to see, you know, a couple of elves really just lay waste to an entire group of orcs. The one can there, there's one thing that I have complained with just about every movie that has throwaway henchmen bad guys is the fact that. You'll start in the first scene and you'll see, you know, here's 18 guys and we're there, you know, this group of 18 is chasing our, our, our heroes here. And then they start into the battle sequence and somehow by the time they're done, they've killed like 67 different people. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm pretty sure you only had 18 to start with. And that happened a number of times with the orcs. They just kept coming out of the forest like, oh, they just must have been waiting in the background. Right. But 
it's, you know, that's that happens in fight movie in movies with epic fight scenes. Is you just have to keep generating guys to yeah. to, to fight. But. My my complaint with the um, overactive fight scenes uh, is that you're taking away for me. You're taking away the um, uh, any sense of fear that you might have with you know this troop of what what was it like three dozen orcs mm-hmm. right on your behind. Man, you're going to run like crazy. Oh, except for the fact that, you know, they all fall down like, you know, trees in a forest to a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. You know, they they don't stand a chance because every good guy in Middle Earth is freaking invincible and they can take on 20 orcs by themselves, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that that always kind of irked me a bit. And and that's not just Peter Jackson. That's that's you know. filmmaking and TV in general. It's the bad guys are always, you know, a hundred shots to the one shot for the good guy. Yeah. That's it's uh, there has to, there's always the moment where the one bad guy gets a lucky blow in mm-hmm. or something, you know, the bullet gets and hits him in the shoulder and then, or, or, you know, the sword, you know, cuts through and, you know, you get Keely getting shot in the leg or something right. like that. You have those moments, but it's ready for a tangent. Okay. I always loved the, um, the climax of, uh, uh, Shanghai Noon, when they kind of make fun of that idea when uh-huh. Owen Wilson comes out from behind the pillar <laughs> and the sheriff shoots, you know, 20 different shots at him or whatever mm-hmm. it was, and he doesn't get hit and he shoots him with one bullet. I thought that was hilarious. Roy! <laughs> Invincible! <laughs> yeah. It, wow, that waveform is severe. <laughs> yeah. I apologize to those of you who are now deaf. Um, but. I mean, those, those criticisms. I mean, some of the criticisms aside, I, I, yeah, give me give me a favorite. What's uh, something about the movie that you really enjoyed? Um. Okay, I I really. Bard. I'm gonna start with Bard. Um, he's yeah. one of the first things. I really like the character of Bard. I've seen him. Bef- I've seen that actor before. Uh, he does. A, he has a TV series that he used to do called The Legend of the Seeker. Mm-hmm. Very similar genre. And I really enjoy him. I enjoy a character like that who it only takes a few moments for you to realize his innate goodness, but his willingness to bend and break rules. You know, there, there's the good guys who are, will not break a rule, say, you know, for any reason whatsoever. And then there's the guys who, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do the greater, you know, whatever the greater good is, whatever, however I have to do it, you know. And I, I really enjoy the character of Bard, and I'm, I'm excited to see that continue um, and that build. And then they, I did think that they did a much better job this time in keeping the comedy that existed in there. Um, quick, simple, and fun. You know, there's another, there are a number of moments in the film where you just kind of chuckle to yourself like, Haha, that was kind of funny. But it, and it moves on. It doesn't dwell on the gimmicks mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, that's a key to doing something with a more epic feel or, or with a, a more serious tone to it is to find those comedic moments and find that in there and let that let that exist for that brief moment to pull you out you know to give you a different feel and then to move on to the next level so right on um i'll tell you something i enjoyed was uh, the whole mirkwood forest um sequence is i guess mm-hmm. the spiders were great um and then especially when we got to see the mirkwood elves I thought it was fantastic. I can't um, stand the king. Well, I, that's that's the whole point. I thought the the beauty of it was that we've come to love every elf that we've 
met in Middle Earth so far. You know, first we meet Legolas and oh, what a heartthrob. And he's so yeah. wonderful and decent. And same thing with uh, Galadriel and Elrond. They're, they're, you know, they're a little aloof, but they're so wise and so beautiful and mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Um, but then the elves of Mirkwood were properly quite dickish. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, they were <laughs> you didn't want to spend a lot of time with them. Because, uh, you know, they, they mentioned something early in the film, like these aren't, you know... Uh, they're not as smart as other elves. Ever. They're, they're not as uh, as wise, I think they call them, as as their brethren, mm-hmm. which is totally accurate. I mean, that's that's the way it goes uh, there with, I think they're green elves as opposed to high elves. Anyway, um, so I, I, I thought that was done really well. I liked the... I especially loved the uh, visuals, um the people who made up the set pieces the miniatures um the yeah. costuming uh it it was all fantastic and it kind of showed that yeah these are enlightened-ish beings um they certainly know how to how to build a house right yeah <laughs> um they and uh, whatever uh but they're they're not quite at that level it's it's dark it's a little bit scary it's a little bit treacherous Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to uh, the last homely house, uh, the Rivendell, where you know everything's just you just hang out, everything's peaceful. It is very interesting to see the if you look, go back and look at the different uh, land of the different elves, elf lands, because you have Rivendell, which it's like that perfect painting that you see on the wall mm-hmm. you know that's there's a waterfall cascading, everything's beautiful, everything you know the woodwork perpetual is in, autumn, I think yeah. they went for. It's, you know, you have that. And then, but then you go into Lothlorien. There's a different color to Lothlorien. There's mm-hmm. a different tone to Lothlorien. Um, and then now you have the Mirkwood. You have Mirkwood. And you have these, these elves here, which also has a different feel. It, it's, I felt more like I was in a lodge. Like every time I saw the king in his throne room area, I just wanted to, like the Disney, you know, no one it's like Gaston, no one's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's what I feel like. I felt he should have a, like a big thing of beer in his hand, swinging it around, you know. Well, he is going to ride a moose, right? Isn't, wasn't he riding a moose yeah, in the first movie? Yeah, he did. But, you know, that, that was, that was my thing. I, I was just always very, I was very interested in, in, in why each of the elves would be so distinctly different in their, in their lands. Mm. Um, but. By the way, it's a common misunderstanding uh, but it's actually true uh, that no one hits like Gaston. Uh, Did you know that? Uh, I was, I was, I believe I was fairly aware of that. Right. But uh, it's always good to be reinforced on those truths. Um, Here to keep the record set straight. Uh, let's let's. There's there's one thing that I will say that any movie I think any moviegoer who goes to see this movie will ha- will have to agree. If not, go get yourself checked out. That the dragon that they do, Smaug, oh, is fantastic. Yeah, okay. In every in every form, in visual effects, in the voiceover work by Benedict Cumberbatch, in just general presentation, everything that was a terrifying yet, I just uh, relatable dragon. That, uh, I thought he was. I thought he was characterized uh, quite well. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, movie makers everywhere, take note. Uh, you are no longer ever able or allowed to make a dragon. <laughs> it's it, we're done. We're done. That's it. Hey, that's I find that interesting considering they just released the trailer a couple days ago for the new Godzilla movie. <laughs> I know Godzilla is not exactly a dragon. He's just 
some I'm a Kraken from the sea. But uh you know I I enjoy I do enjoy dragon stories. You know, I, I love how to train your dragon. It's one of my favorite animated cartoons. And it is you know I, I enjoy a well-made dragon, but there's different genres. I mean, the How to Train Your Dragons are a little more cartoony, a little more approach, you know, a little more approachable. And then you have Smaug, who is this incredibly detailed, down to the, you know, each separate scale underneath the, you know, lighting up yeah. as, the, as the fire's preparing to come out. You know, you should have seen Benedict Cumberbatch's costume for the uh, motion capture. It was elaborate. I'm sure, yeah, you know, long tail with a ping pong ball at the end. <laughs> but, you know, the the whole sequence in, in Erebor uh, between uh, Bilbo and Smaug is really quite a technical feat and quite uh, quite impressive to have so many moving pieces because you got to realize all those moving, you know, all that gold that moves every time they move. Um, following yeah, that's and, pretty cool. <laughs> it's, it's very, it would be very easy to create mountains of gold that are very stale and you know you hit them and a couple of coins trickle down and then but no you've got full you know coin avalanches mm. that are coming through it's very you know very difficult technically to pull something like that and very very well done though we could probably spend hours on the visual aspect of the movie um i think i would sum it up just by saying <clears throat> um my sister texted me earlier today and she said so how was the movie should i be excited to go see it um, and what I told her and what I'll tell everybody else is um, if you're looking for uh, wonderful storytelling, um, look elsewhere. It's good storytelling, mm -hmm. but it's not great storytelling. If you're looking for uh, a reason to go see a movie in 3D, IMAX, you know, the whole theater experience, go see this one because the visuals are amazing. The the soundscapes are great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's a, a really great theater movie. But uh, if you're not super interested in this world, then you're not going to... It's not going to do much for you. You're going to walk... I, I, my feeling was... As I was looking, I kind of thought that for people who are, like you said, not super vested in the Lord of the Rings series, if you go into this movie to just go and enjoy a movie, um, you will come out feeling that that your money was well spent. You, you will feel that you your money you got your money's worth after the feel. Like I said, after the feeling of <laughs> frustration leaves because they I I I can See, get... uh, let me let me differ with you a little bit here. Because I, I totally know what you're saying. You know, Smog fly he's flying toward Lake Town. Boom. Credits hit. Oh, frustrating, right? Spoiler well, alert. Yeah, we're <laughs> well past that. Anyway, um, my thought was, finally, oh my gosh. Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I'm I it makes it sound like I hated the movie. I didn't hate the movie. It was just too dang long. Mm-hmm you know that's it, he released the extended editions into the theaters you know it's just long very very long yeah i and i felt like when we got to the end of it you know i felt that it was a long movie but i didn't feel like i didn't feel like i was sitting through a long movie mm -hmm. um see i i'm contrasting it with when i you know again back to when i was what 15 16 whatever when the fellowship of the ring came out 
and I'm sitting in the theater for the first time watching this movie. Um, and in the blink of an eye, it was over. And that was a long movie. It was two and a half hours. Yeah. That theatrical version. But um, it it sucked me in. And maybe I'm just too old and jaded now. And, you know, it's not the magic's not going to work a second time. Um, but uh, but I don't know. I, I don't think that's entirely it. Well, I often have uh, an issue with when you go into something like The Hobbit and there's been a pre- there, it has a predecessor, a very successful predecessor. This idea Named Mary Poppins. Totally different storyline. But when you go in there and we have this tendency to expect we say in our we say, you know, well, I know it's not the exact same. I know it's going to be a bit different, but we have an expectation that the level of excellence is going to equal that. Mm hmm. I think if you're, you know, if you break the Lord of the Rings series off and you just take the Hobbit series as the Hobbit series so far and look at it there, I think that it's actually, it is done, it, it's been better than your average, you know, you take a movie, for example, let me give you a, it's a little bit different genre, but some of the movies like the, like Epic and these uh yeah the fact that you're rolling your eyes like not no, realizing I'm not rolling my eyes i'm searching my memory and i haven't seen it I have yeah no idea what it, it is. it's not a movie that is widely known but it's okay. it's got a little bit more of a it, it's a movie that didn't have you know no predecessor or anything with the hobbit series you come in and we expect like okay it's got to be at least as good as lord of the rings or just you know if, even if it's just underneath i'm okay with that mm-hmm. but i think on its own compared to an average movie just that comes out on its own the Hobbit is actually is actually I mean it's better than just an average movie. I would put it above an average. You know I'm I do not think it's going to be sure. a classic. Well, uh, okay, now I would absolutely agree with you because the average movie is a piece of crap. So <laughs> let's, Ben, ben let's Stiller has a new movie this. coming out, people. So hey, I'm actually looking forward to that one. That one looks really good. I take issue with any Danny Kaye movie that's redone. Oh, I didn't know it was a remake. Well, anyway, um, uh. We'd better wrap it up. I will say, maybe as a tease to a future conversation we could do, um, I've got to say, speaking of following in the footsteps of famous predecessors, I am so happy, so happy that Disney bought Star Wars. Yes. So happy. And I know that that's not a popular opinion, it's, or at least it wasn't getting, when it first... Yeah, when yeah, it first came out, everyone kind of freaked out. Somebody, somebody came to me, I was, I was in the break room at work, and they knew I was a huge Star Wars fan, and so they come up and hey, Craig, did you know they uh, Disney just bought the rights to Star Wars? They're going to make another trilogy, and and they're really worried, like the colors drained out of their face, and they're like, oh no, it's the bastardization of everything of my childhood. And mm-hmm. I'm going, are you kidding me? This is the best thing that ever happened to Star Wars since Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It, Hands down. Anyway, I I couldn't be more excited. No, I agree. I think it took people a while to realize this is the same studio and the same, you know, the same, these are the same producers and groups that are responsible for the Marvel successes we've had in the last little while. The Avengers, the Captain Americas, it's the same, same grouping. Those are the the studio execs who are, who are making these decisions. Mm -hmm. I do hope it feels better than Thor too. Uh, I I would hope so. (laughs) That shouldn't be too Um, difficult. But I agree. I, I'm excited about that. I do think J.J. Abrams will be good. Just, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch wants in. Oh, that. <laughs> um, did you know also that Disney is buying up uh, Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. They have bought the rights to any future um, Indiana Jones films. 
So go Disney. Um, maybe I ought to go work as a set painter for Disney. There you go. Uh, that's that's how you get into these films, right? Harrison Ford. Oh yeah, that's right. Carpenter that. on the set, stood in for some lines, and then came became Han Solo and the President of the United States and a number of other characters he's played throughout his illustrious career. So the Hobbit. <laughs> right, coming back to whatever. Yeah, here. like I said, we better wrap this up. We're coming up on an hour here, so yeah. Wrap it up here. A Hobbit final final rec- like recommendation. Um, if you have any inkling at all that you might enjoy the film, go see it. Okay. If if you're like my wife and you could not possibly care less about hobbits or anything to do with them, do not go see this movie. Yeah, I would uh, I would chime in that I I think that unless you are someone who really is struggles with uh, paying out nine dollars for a movie ticket, unless you're that person, this is a movie worth seeing. Nine dollars. By the way, if anybody on the coasts is listening to this, <laughs> I, I'm laughing at you. <laughs> That's right. Our tickets are nine seventy five here in Salt Lake. That, that for, was for that was for what two D, right? Yeah, for for two D, for just kind of a standard uh, digital two D. Okay. IMAX. Everything is eleven seventy five. Eleven fifty for two D up in Seattle. I think it was like thirteen fifty for three D. <laughs> yeah, it was not awesome. All right. Well, wrap things up. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs>